Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience, presented by DraftKings 2021 NFC West Player Profiles and Team Odds from a Fantasy Perspective. We're going to be digging in to where each of the players on each of these four teams falls in terms of ADP and where we have them ranked going forward. If you miss the AFC East or the NFC East, shame on you, but you can rectify that issue right now. Hit the description. You can find the link to both of those. I did them with Jake Seeley. There'll be more Jake Seeley coming up, just not on this show. I have Elliot Chris from FTNFantasy.com joining me on the line, but I do want to remind everyone to smash the like button to the video. And in the comment section, you tell me who is going to be the number one receiver of all the players, half point PPR, let's call it, in the NFC West this year. Is it going to be Robert Woods? Probably not. Is it going to be DeAndre Hopkins? Probably. Is it going to be DK Metcalf? I mean, you could make a compelling case for that if you really wanted to. Maybe Brandon Ayuk is the way that you want to go with this. I don't know. You tell me. What are you guys thinking about the NFC West right now? Also, subscribe to the Pat Mayo Experience audio podcast. Leave a five-star review while you're up there and subscribe to Mayo Media Network's YouTube channel where you'll get a ton of not only football, but all of the sports coverage that you're going to need. Elliot Chris, like I mentioned, from FTNFantasy.com on the line right now. You guys got an early bird package going on, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. We, uh, we're, we're, long, we're ramping up for this football season. We got all kinds of new stats that are, that are about to launch here in a couple weeks. We've got, uh, it's just $59.99 right now. You, know, you can use promo code mail to save a little bit extra. Uh, you're, you're better at pitching that than I am. But uh, all kinds of stuff. We've got high stakes coaching. We've got uh, tons of tools, league sync, start sit tools, draft guides, all the content you could ever want. Uh, you know, also uh, combined package with DFS and betting as well. You know, we've got a ton of people with high success rate. Our CEO Kevin Adams went over 90 units last year, uh, professional DFS player. So we're incredibly excited about this football season. Put a ton of time and effort into everything, and um, could not be ready more ready for 91 more days to be gone and, and it be football season. Well, like I said, I'm ramping up full-time fantasy football coverage along with full-time golf coverage because there's a major championship coming up in golf. Then you're going to get football football right after that. There's been so much content up on the network right now. Like if you're into the other football, there's a brand new Euro 2020 pick show that's going up every single day on Mayo Media Network. If you want some bets on the day's Euro action, you can find it in 10 minutes or less up on Mayo Media Network in the DFS Mix podcast as well. Let's jump into this. Arizona is going to be the first team that we're going to be talking about from the NFC West. Their over-under for win totals for the year is 8. They're plus 190. That means you have to bet $190, or you have to bet $100 to win $190. Right now at DraftKings Sportsbook to make the playoffs, 6-1 to one to win the division, 20-1 to one to win the conference, 40-1 to one to win the Super Bowl. But the guy that we really need to be talking about here, Elliot, is Kyler Murray. Is this the year he takes the leap and becomes the number one overall player in fantasy football? Or is he just being overdrafted right now because he's currently being drafted as the number two quarterback off the boards behind Patrick Mahomes? Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing with Kyler is his his health, right? I mean, he averaged 51 yards per game on the ground last year. Uh, he's the second most explosive running quarterback in the NFL after Lamar Jackson. And that dual threat ability... Uh, the Konami code, right, that everyone likes to call it, is, is everything. It creates such a nice uh, floor and ceiling combination. We saw before the AC joint strain uh, last season that he basically was looking at 25-plus DraftKings points with a ceiling of 40. 
um, a huge thing too for them is the the horizontal raid. They call it the air raid, right? But the number of passes they have uh, towards the line of scrimmage, I think Kata was seventh in all the screen passes last year. Uh, really, they really got a missing piece with Rondell Moore, the the rookie receiver there, who 39% of his college production came on passes at or behind the line of scrimmage. So he's kind of been that missing piece. They added AJ Green as well, or kind of, I guess, the, the ghost of AJ Green. DeAndre Hopkins. I think Kyler, as long as he stays healthy, is absolutely in position to be a top three quarterback right there with Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes. So Josh Allen is actually being drafted as the number two fantasy quarterback right now in early fantasy football drafts. Uh, Kyler number three. So Kyler's going at pick number 33 overall. That's a lot for me to spend on a quarterback, especially when I just look back like 10 picks later, you can get Dak Prescott. That still seems a bit too early for a quarterback for me, but Lamar Jackson coming in at pick number 49. You said that you know, the Konami code of the passing, the upside, the rushing, the rushing touchdowns that go along with it. I mean, I guess Jalen Hurts, you can kind of project as sort of like the minor league version of these guys with the same potential upside, just with far more downside when it comes to entering your fantasy football drafts this year. Do you think you could see yourself drafting a quarterback that highly? And would you just wait the two rounds and take Lamar over Kyler instead since they're pretty close? Yeah, I would. Uh, like, I, I love Kyler, but not at that ADP. I can't, I can't touch that. Um, you look at any form of data and it suggests that waiting on quarterbacks is, is the right approach, right? And even you look at younger guys coming into the league like Trey Lance and Justin Fields, when those guys start, because you, you look at a history of guys going top five, they, they, they crack the starting lineup sooner rather than later. And Justin Fields has to beat out Andy Dalton, which is not necessarily the hardest thing to do, right? So um, they have that rushing potential as well. Justin Fields running a 4-4-40. So I love your call on Hurts. He's not the same level of quarterback as these guys by any stretch of the imagination. But what he is, is that rushing upside, it doesn't really matter if he's the same level of NFL quarterback, right? So uh, Kyler is, is being overdrafted right now. He's not wrong to be a top three quarterback, but I'm not taking any quarterback in the first three rounds. No, and I think that you made a good point with, uh, hurts like he's not on the same level in terms of talent as the other two that we talked about however that doesn't matter in fantasy people forget that like tim tebow was a pretty good fantasy quarterback for like a nine-week stretch because all he did was run my guy tyler thigpen led me to a fantasy championship like a decade ago and he was god awful but he ran a bit he scored some rushing i think he had a receiving touchdown in the fantasy playoffs at one point like when you just get these guys that are stat accumulators especially a quarterback on the ground and they get the valuable six-point rushing touchdown down instead of the four point passing touchdown or the 10 point rushing yard instead of the 25 point like it just makes up for a lot of gaps so quickly and I think you're seeing the right now I mean there's a lot of uncertainty around Hertz and we discussed that on the NFC East preview show but I still think that there's enough people who just want to say, well, he's not good. I'm not going to draft him. It's irrelevant whether he's good or not. I mean, I guess it helps if he's good. He could elevate himself into like top five quarterback, top three quarterback. If all of a sudden he's throwing for 4,000 yards and starting all 17 games. But if he just starts all 17 games, it feels like he would be a top 12 quarterback just based on the style of play that he has, doesn't he? Yeah, absolutely. And he, he's also built like a running back, right? So they're going to use him uh, near that goal line. And one of the biggest um, complaints about Jalen Hurts is the fact that he will go through one or two reads and then look to run. That's fantastic, like you said. And it, it, it kind of comes down to basic math, right? You get 40 rushing yards as a quarterback and score a touchdown. That's equivalent to 250 passing yards. It, it's just 
it's so hard to compete with. I mean, Tim Tebow had a week where he was like four for 24 and 90 passing yards and ended up as a top 12 quarterback that week. Terrell Pryor is another example, right? I think he broke like a 95 yard run as a quarterback. And I think he completed like four passes that week and it didn't matter. So uh, Kyler's got that. Jalen Hurts has that. That's really what I'm looking for with any fantasy quarterback I'm drafting is do you have that rushing upside? Because if not, then I'm probably going to look a different direction. Let's discuss the running backs on this team because it did seem for a while like Chase Edmonds was going to be the guy. He was getting overdrafted. Then they signed James Conner. And we don't know really whether James Conner is washed up. He was running behind a pretty terrible offensive line in Pittsburgh a year ago. Plus, he was banged up. That's never a good sign. And it seems like this is going to be a split backfield where maybe it actually shapes up a lot like we saw a year ago with Kenyon Drake and Chase Edmonds where it's going to be like a 60-40 split. The weird thing about this is, though, uh, Edmonds is currently going ahead of Connor in fantasy drafts. They're both going pretty late down the board, but where Kyler calls his own number so often near the goal line that he kind of sucks away fantasy value from the quote-unquote goal line back, and that's what you would assume James Conner would be. There's no set in stone obvious reason why that's going to be. I mean, that just seems like why they would bring him in. Run between the 10, 20s, maybe go near the goal line. That's going to be your job, James Conner, for you know high, high up pace, two-minute drill, passing downs. That's more of a Chase Edmonds type role. Maybe you can cobble together like 10 to 14 touches a game. They're more valuable touches potentially because a lot of them go through the air. But if Kyler's stealing touchdowns away from both of these running backs, it caps are upside for one. But there's also the other factor. You said Rondell Moore comes in. He helps out Kyler Murray. Can Kingsbury help out Kyler Murray by stop kicking field goals from the one-yard line? Can he? Very easily, right? Will he? Eh, not sure. <laughs> Um, I, I think your point on Kyler is is huge, right? Because we saw Kenyon Drake's uh, goal line touches really increase as the season went on uh, due to that that shoulder injury. And and Kyler's health is going to play a major role. I do think you're you're 100% spot on where the profile suggests that Chase Edmonds is much more likely to be the pass catching back, while while Connor kind of probably takes less of the Kenyon Drake role, but will be the back inside the ten and a first and second down back. But to, to your point, like. There's been so much research done on weighted opportunity, which basically is is the value of individual touches. And if you're in a PPR league, it's a, a target is just so much more valuable than a carry. So I would lean Chase Edmonds at similar ADP. If I can get Connor at a discount, and you see sometimes you can, I wouldn't be mad at that as like a, a zero RB target, one of those later round running backs where if Chase Edmonds gets hurt, um, you know, which we've seen him get done in the past. There's not that many other people there, and, and Connor could have a really nice role. While he should have some touchdown equity in the offense. It's just strange to see them where they're going right now. Edmonds is going as running back number 28. James Connor is going as running back number 31. That's pick 65 and 71. Essentially, you're taking one or the other once you get to the end of the fifth round, early sixth round in fantasy drafts right now before we have all the information that we need. But the other guys going around there are like Mike Davis, Ronald Jones, Miles Gaskin, Leonard Fournette, Travis Etienne. Damian Harris, David Johnson, Kenyon Drake now on the Raiders. Like It seems like, I guess you could make a compelling case for Mike Davis. When we talk about the NFC South, we'll dig more into that. It just feels like he's not good, despite having all of, all of the role in the world to be like a running back one. He just won't be because, he, you know, there's just one problem. He's not any good. Well, <laughs> Mike Davis... Uh... Quad Twitter would disagree with you, right? People love his quads, but uh, Mike Davis is like a bowling ball. Uh, he, he's a decent uh, pass catcher out of the backfield, but 
he's he's a jag and so is miles gaskin like none of those guys get very excited because either the role isn't great it's a it's a timeshare or the talent is is lacking and that's why so many people get uncomfortable taking running backs in that area um and, and it almost makes sense to try to get some guys with more pass catching upside that are an injury away from being a league winner a couple rounds later than really targeting that that dead zone for running backs well, to me, I made this case with Jake about how you just don't want any of the Bills running backs because the, the running back on the Bills that you want to own is Josh Allen, and he just kind of sucks away the value from everyone else. And they don't even really check down to running backs. At least in this offense, they might check down to Chase Edmonds and use him as a receiver a lot of the time. Do you think that uh, Moore takes out some of the Edmonds equity here in the passing game? Uh, maybe a little bit. Um, I, I think more actually kind of fits pretty nicely into that Larry Fitzgerald underneath role. Um, obviously he's not the blocker Larry is, but Larry was used so much in that five to 10 yard range, except at this point of his career, he was not very good. Uh, Edmonds has, we've seen some pass catching upside. We've seen when he's had a few bell cow opportunities, he's exploded. It, it is a good offense to be a part of. Uh, I would definitely, at, at those ADPs, I'm taking Edmonds over Connor all day long. Um, it's it's just, and, and without a Connor injury, you question exactly how much upside there is. Yeah, right now I'm looking at my initial projections and simulating the season 10,000 times. I have Chase Edmonds, if we're going to round to like an even number, around a 12% target market share, uh, around a 21% rushing touchdown market share on this team. That would say like a 40% for Connor, but also like a 33% for Kyler Murray as well. So if you just, and it seems to me, although we've seen Edmonds get banged up a little bit, I don't know if I necessarily want him as the workhorse back, but I think if he can somehow flip the script on Connor a little bit and get up to, and he can be the 60%, 65% guy. He can be a top 20 running back this year. Yeah, that, that's absolutely fair. I think that's well within the range of outcomes. And I, I don't think Edmonds is ready to be a bell cow back for the entire season, right? That's why they brought in James Conner. But if you get a couple games of it, those, those couple games could be top 12, top 10 running back weeks, which, which obviously helped throughout the course of the season. So wide receivers, uh, we talked about more already, but it's probably uh, good to focus on DeAndre Hopkins. Once again, smash a like in the comment section. You give me your highest scoring fantasy receiver from the NFC West. Do you think he outscores DK Metcalf this year? Yes, I do. Uh, pretty confidently. Um, Metcalf is going to be obviously touchdown dependent. And uh, one, of the, one of the biggest issues with Seattle is that they tried to protect their defense the second half of the year, right? And really tried to go more run heavy, which almost made Russell Wilson demand a trade or he did demand a trade, almost got traded this offseason. Uh, and the Pete Carroll was was adamant that we're going to really rely on this run game. Uh, the Cardinals play with a better pace. They pass more. I think that um, uh, Hopkins is going to continue to be that target guy that sees eight-plus targets a week. Um, Metcalf is obviously an incredible talent, dangerous down the field with the ball in his hand. Um, certainly no knock on him. He, he's going to, you know, where he should go. But I do think that Hopkins has a real good shot to end up as wide receiver one overall. So, oh, number one overall. He's currently being drafted as number four uh, at wide receiver. And DK Metcalf's actually going at number five at wide receiver in early drafts right now. Let me give you the rundown of the market share that I have projected for these receivers. I have Hopkins at 29% of the targets. Rondell Moore at 15%. Christian Kirk at 13%. A.J. Green, who, yes, is on this team and is being drafted in fantasy leagues right now, at uh, 7%. Isabella, 5%. Keyshawn Johnson at 3%. Does that strike you as Hopkins, Moore, Kirk, 
but it could be Kirk over more depending on how the early season goes. But it's going to be Hopkins, then those two, then the rest. Yeah, I mean, Hopkins has a good chance to double the next guy's target share, which I think is basically what you have at 29 and 15, right? So uh, I think A.J. Green might end up a little bit more involved. Just I'm a little worried about Kirk because he was a wide receiver too last year, then they signed A.J. Green, and then they drafted Rondell Moore. Sometimes teams really tell you how they feel about a guy with their roster moves, but Hopkins is going to be one of those guys. And, yeah, is he likely to be wide receiver one? Uh, I don't know. Stefan Diggs, Tyreek Hill, Devontae Adams, right? Those, those are probably the guys that are ahead of him. Um, but he's, he's definitely in that conversation and has that kind of upside and his weekly floor also just gives you, so you can, you just know you're getting 15 plus points with those 30, 40 point upside games. So, uh, his floor is incredibly attractive as well. While Metcalf is a little bit more, um, it, the variance with him is, is higher. Uh, looking at Rondell Moore, he's being drafted as wide receiver number 68 in early drafts. That's around guys like Darius Slayton, Elijah Moore, Denzel Mims, all guys on your mighty, mighty Jets, Elliot. Then you have like Nelson Aguilar, uh, Amon Ross St. Brown, who could be in a really nice spot in Detroit. Uh, maybe I actually would take him. Like Kadarius Tony. It seems like he has more upside than most of these guys. Yeah, because he's got a real path to be that wide receiver too, right? And he fits that underneath offense. He's an incredibly explosive player. A lot of people comped him to Steve Smith. Obviously, five foot seven is the concern, um, but he's when healthy, he's been nothing short of spectacular. Do we worry? Um, so do he we really worry, hold on. Do we do we worry about something like five foot seven as much in twenty twenty one NFL than maybe we would have in like two thousand five or nineteen ninety five? Do we worry or should we worry? It's kind of like the different I, I, question, right? I, I guess, should we worry as much about a tinier player? Yeah, one hit can kind of end you uh, when you're that small. And someone, especially in terms of like concussions, uh, they can be reoccurring after a while. And it's probably a bit easier for someone that small hitting, getting hit by someone with so, so much force so big uh, to cause that. But it just seems like there's so much protection on the offensive players. Now it's football. Not obviously everyone cannot be protected, but it does seem like there are fewer headshots fewer cheap shots because people don't want to get fined. People don't want to give up those penalties that for these smaller type players now seems like the best time ever to be a small guy and play in the NFL. He's also built, you know what I mean? Like he's not like frail. I think he set Purdue's squat record, right? So, and he's going to play a lot in the slot, which is going to give him free release. So I'm not particularly worried about his size. Like, is he going to go up and contest the catch situations? No, probably not. Right. But that's never been his game. It's not how he wins. So it's not a huge concern. Uh, I just meant like people are going to point out that he's five foot seven more so. And I, I agree with you in terms of the range of receivers. He's I would take him over Aguilar. I would take him over Mims, who's now apparently running behind Keelan Cole. Elijah Moore apparently has been the best player at Jets camp. I don't necessarily know if that means that he's actually doing well or everyone there is terrible. But, um, you know, and he's going to compete with Jameson Crowder for that slot role. I, I really like Elijah Moore uh, long term. But I think Ron Moore found a great, great home. He can fit. Uh, very nicely and if he gets that 15 percent target share and he really carves out that underneath role in the offense he he will you know out outperform his adp max williams that's max with two x's i mean just change your fucking name to have three x's max williams if you're gonna go with the two to go i at least become like i guess it wouldn't be seo viable because you would never come up in the triple x search but either way it would just make it would make for foot you would sell some more jerseys put it that way you have max williams darnell daniels ian bunting uh no tarzan dan arnold i guess he was there what last year two years ago whatever the fuck it was do we care about tight ends in this offense or are they just there to like make us mad when we have DeAndre Hopkins on our team and like, oh, good. 
Max Williams caught a touchdown. Fantastic news. Yeah, his his two touchdowns this year on his 12 receptions, right? Uh, no, I, <laughs> the only reason that I think Max Williams is worth talking about is your, your triple X joke, which brings me back to a time where I, I had to do a movie report in sixth grade. And the movie I chose was Triple X, the Vin Diesel movie. And I sat down to do it, uh, the assignment on the computer, my parents in the kitchen, and I just typed in triplex.com, not thinking. And that was a giant mistake. So I uh, got to share that story on your show, but no, we don't care about Max Williams. All right, let's move on to the Rams, the new look Los Angeles Rams with Triple X, Elliot Christ coming at you. Matt Stafford is now the quarterback. Um, obviously, that feels like an upgrade over Jared Goff. Ten and a half is their win total, minus 200 to make the playoffs, plus 190 to win the division, 6-1 to one to win the NFC, and 13-1 to one to win the Super Bowl. They are the favorites in this division. Do you think that they should be the favorites in this division? Like, is that upgrade substantial enough? And like we've talked about, even on the win total show, the past two years as it pertains to the Rams, like they're pressed up against the cap. That doesn't really seem to matter. They have amazing starters on both sides of the ball, but it feels like they're one of the most susceptible teams. Now, all teams you can kind of say this for, but if they lose starters, like – their depth from starters to next guy up is not good. So they need to get some injury luck throughout the course of the season, which every team needs to if they're going to win the Super Bowl. But it feels like for them, it's especially important. Yeah, I mean, look at that that playoff game, right, against the Packers where Aaron Donald wasn't 100% healthy, wasn't himself. And now he went from the best defense in the league to we can't stop a nosebleed. Uh, their, their depth, like you said, they lost um, – Johnson, the safety to the Browns, who was, who was a big piece. But Jalen Ramsey is one of the best corners in the league. Aaron Donald's one of the best pass rushers. And on offense, they've got Cam Akers, who really came on at the end of the year. I think Matthew Stafford is a massive upgrade over Jared Goff, who I think is one of the more league average players, if I'm going to be kind, and McVay kind of elevated him. I think they're really interesting on offense in terms of the weapon standpoint, because Robert Woods is one of the league's best route runners. Cooper Cup's a fantastic slot receiver who's caught over 90 passes in, what, three straight years. And um, they added Deshaun Jackson, who, when he plays the two games that year, will add a nice little vertical threat. Van Jefferson came on nicely. Tutu Atwell was a very confusing second-round pick, but they made it. Like, they've really tried to add a lot of dynamic weapons around them, and I think they're going to be able to attack, you know, vertically underneath. They're going to be a difficult team to stop as long as they're healthy. And you know, Stafford could really take the next step as this is far and away the best supporting cast I think he's ever had. He's going as QB number 13 right now. That's around one spot behind Ryan Tannehill, one spot ahead of Matt Ryan, who obviously just lost Julio Jones. Uh, but we'll see how big of an impact that makes. It's weird when you have... It's not like Stafford can't run because he does from time to time, but no one is banking on Matthew Stafford rushing stats whatsoever. It's all going to be passing stats. So I'm looking at my first run projections on him, and it basically comes out to 4,800 and a half passing yards over 17 games. That's pretty good. That would put him in the realm of like 413 pass attempts or 633 pass attempts over 400 completions and like 323 fantasy points. But that feels not necessarily like a seat. Like that's his median projection. Obviously, he could do better than that but if i already have him projected at around 33 touchdown passes like how much better is he really going to do than that do we think this is a matt stafford 5300 yard 40 touchdown season like it's the right cast to do it but i just don't know if that's how they want to play yeah you know and we, we've seen a history even with todd Gurley, his major touchdown seasons right i mean running backs have a huge part of touchdown equity in this offense uh, they, they do a fantastic job spreading you out and creating open running lanes. 
uh, for the running back there too. So, and what, the the season you're talking about with Matthew Stafford would legit be like an MVP level season, right? Um, Stafford, I think is, you know, he's not QB 13 is not a bad price for him. I just, I don't know how much rushing upside he has. And I'm going to be relying on those huge passing games that I would probably look other directions at quarterback. Yeah, I think a good comp for him is like the Matt Ryan MVP season where he ended up as a top 10 fantasy quarterback and he was good. You could start him almost every single week, but he didn't sniff like the top, top, top scorers that year. There's just too many quarterbacks that run now, right? It's, it's not like even five, six, seven years ago, there was a few. Now there's, I mean, Mahomes offers stuff on the ground. Josh Allen does. Kyler Murray does. Dak Prescott does. Um, Lamar Jackson obviously does. You know, there's just, you, Justin Herbert's adding stuff on the ground. And the, the new age quarterback, right, Zach Wilson is projected to score multiple rushing touchdowns. Trevor Lawrence is a great athlete. It's just, well, when you don't have that rushing upside, it, it becomes tougher. I mean, look at a guy like Ryan Fitzpatrick who continues to put up QB one weeks. And it's because he's so comfortable using his legs. I just I I tend to avoid quarterbacks who aren't really willing to do that outside of like DFS stacks. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. So I think if he falls, that's where you probably want to take him. Like if you are playing necessarily late round quarterback, essentially, shout out JJ. But if you're in like the 12th round, 13th round, then yeah, you take Matt Stafford. He's a fine QB one for you and the rest of the team that you've compiled. The problem is he's just not following that far. So he's kind of falling into a dead zone with me. Cam Akers is going to be the talk of fantasy drafts because he's he's feeling not necessarily a little Clyde Edwards Alarish from last year where the hype gets up so high it's like, oh my God, Clyde Edwards Alarish is going fifth overall in fantasy drafts. At least we've seen Akers do it when he's been the guy uh, and they've had to rely on him as a bell cow. The issue is you still have Daryl Henderson there. Obviously, Malcolm Brown is gone. Can we project Cam Akers for over 75% of the market share of rushes? Because if we do, he's probably a top five pick in fantasy drafts. Like he might be better than Elvin Kamara. Yeah, I mean, I think we can. We, we saw it down the stretch, right? And Sean McVay came out and said, we're going to give Cam Akers as much as he can handle. Uh, and they showed in that playoff run that that's exactly what they wanted to do. They started using him in the passing game. And I don't think they liked Daryl Henderson very much. I mean, the, the reason you might draft him in fantasy is because if something does happen to Cam Akers and he, and he misses time, it's just Daryl Henderson because you mentioned Malcolm Brown's uh, down in Miami now. So uh, I think Akers is every bit worth that uh, late first round uh, running back. And he may end up challenging uh, as a top seven pick, right? potentially passing a guy like Jonathan Taylor. Um, so I, I, I'm big on Cam Akers in that 8 to 12 range. So the way that I ran the median projections, I have Cam Akers at a 64% of the rushing share in this offense. And if we think that he gets higher than that and he can dominate the goal line, like I, I mentioned Kamara for a very specific reason, that I have him projected in half-point PPR at 363 fantasy points for the year. Cam Akers, just 300, because it's not showing him as a gigantic workhorse running back uh, like he is the other way. Like even when I look at his receiving game stats, like that's, that's good for almost 1200 yards and 11 touchdowns over 17 games. But when you look at the receptions, you know, 58 targets, 45 receptions, that's really good in everything. But do you think that he could beat like the 46 receptions? Could he break 50 challenge 60 if he's on the field that often? I think he could. Um, that's probably close. 60 is probably much closer to his ceiling. Um, I, I really think that uh, you, you've seen historically uh, the Rams 
with Sean McVay, I think their their running backs are averaging like 18 touchdowns a season. So if he does dominate that, he could end up being the league leader in touchdowns scored this year uh, from the running back position. It's probably going to end up being Derrick Henry, but uh, regardless, I just think he's got that type of ceiling. I have him closer projected to about 72, 73%. Uh, of the market share so like that that eight percent really is the difference between him being a second round pick and a first round pick yeah and him with that touchdown upside like if he can monopolize the goal line work on the rams and they do turn back into a run heavy team and continue that near the goal line and all of a sudden he spikes for like a 17 18 rushing touchdown season then all of a sudden he's like a top three fantasy running back the the receiving concerns me, but it doesn't concern me at the same time. Like looking back at his numbers, like when they had to win in week 17 last year, you know, four targets for 52 yards on and 21 attempts. Like if you can keep him around that like 25 touch level in the playoffs, it was a bit weird because he had the 28 carries the first week of the playoffs against Seattle. And he only had the two targets, but he made a lot of that, but it's not like even golf was playing at that point. Like it's really hard to figure out what this offense is going to look like with Stafford versus you know, kind of golf. And what was the guy's name from last year in the playoffs? I completely even forget it now. So how, how quickly, like the first round of the uh, playoffs Wofford, was that the guy? Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think it was um, where Jared golf had the hand injury, right. And wasn't able to start against Seattle and they got up and it was just basically the cam maker show. Uh, you know, you see he's an incredibly explosive athlete. And I have to imagine they want to get him in space. Um, I, I, I think he actually has the talent to do it. But you're right, like the end game stretch, like they also wanted to give up on Jared Goff. They might have a lot more confidence in Matt Ryan or Matt Stafford, right? So um, I, it's, it's definitely a bit of a projection. But I, I think one of the things that's great that I always try to make sure when I'm drafting a guy is like, am I drafting him at his ceiling? So if I draft him at the end of round one and we're saying – if he gets that touchdown roll, he'd be a top three running back. That means there's still ceiling there. If I'm saying like this, this guy's maxed out at 60% um, market share and I'm taking him top five and I've, I've, there's no ceiling there. You know what I mean? Like I, I've boxed my box myself in. So I still think at his current price, there's a lot of ceiling left. Yeah, he's going as running back number 11 in fantasy drafts right now. And that only is going to climb. I think we, he seems like a guy that people will reach on. There will be one guy in every one of your drafts that just sits there and is like, oh, pick seven, I'll take Cam Akers. How about that? I'll leave Zeke on the board. I'll leave Eckler and Jonathan Taylor and Nick Chubb. I want Cam Akers. I'm not even saying that's the wrong decision to make, but it's one of those like, oh, I want to be smarter than the crowd. I'm going to go take this guy because I'm in love with his upside. But like what you just said is at, there becomes a breaking point where you've just bought up all the upside and it's no longer worth it, right? Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of you, you got to realize you're like building a portfolio, right? It's it's the same thing with with investing or whatever. Right? You, you never want to buy at the top. That's a great way to, to lose money. And it's the same thing when you're doing your fantasy drafts. So you want to make sure you have that ceiling. So I would absolutely take him over Nick Chubb. Uh, I think I'd probably take Zeke over uh, Cam Akers at this point. Um, but I would take him. Uh, over Eckler, I would take him over Mixon. I, I think that he's he's got that kind of upside. Uh, him and Taylor are probably a toss up. That would be a tough decision for me at, at seven eight. So looking at the backups, would Daryl Henderson without Malcolm Brown around become one of the higher end handcuffs, like someone who is draftable in round thirteen or fourteen? Yeah, I, I mean he's the kind of guy that you know maybe he does have a little bit of a pass game upside, right? That's that's one of the things he he's that big time explosive player at Memphis. So I, I think that's the exact kind of guy you're looking in round about thirteen fourteen. Like 
if I have to spot start him, he's not going to get zero. And if there is an injury to Cam Akers, he could be a league winner. So those are the exact kind of guys I'm looking for there. It's funny because that that's exactly what you kind of said. Like he, you can spot start him and you can plug him in. That's actually the opposite of the type of handcuff that I like. I want my handcuffs to be running backs who I don't even have to think about starting if they don't just like Latavius Murray is a prime example of this. I mean, I suppose you could spot start him but with absolutely no confidence. However, if Alvin Kamara goes down, he's like a top five running back. I would think that. Oh, that's what I, that's what I mean, by the way, by a spot start. I just mean like in a pinch, he's not going to score me zero. I don't feel good about it by any stretch of the imagination. I'm never debating him versus, you know, my, my fifth round wide receiver. I just more meant like, he's not going to get you zero on a weekly basis and he's got big time upside. Yeah. I, I just like the, having the handcuff where there is like this happened to people when they drafted Alexander Madison last season, where remember all the hype that Alexander Madison, Oh, he's going to cut into Delvin cooks work. You can, you know, he's a flex play every single week. It's like, no, he's not. If Delvin cook is hurt, you can play him. If Delvin cook is not hurt, you can't play him. And even when Delvin cook was hurt, you couldn't even play him anyway. Cause he sucked. Yeah. Yeah. The, so we're going to take Dalvin Cook off the field for, for Madison was a really, that's one of those galaxy brain things. Like it's one of those, sure, if the Vikings are up 28 points, they'll take Dalvin Cook off the field. But if, if it's a close game, he's, he's on the field and they're, they're not really spotting him much with Madison. At wide receiver, you kind of went through the litany of guys, Cup and Woods, obviously the two that we're most concerned about. Maybe Deshaun Jackson with that speed. You mentioned Van Jefferson, no Josh Reynolds anymore on the Rams. And then Tutu Atwell was drafted in the second round for reasons i suppose but cup and woods is are who we need to focus on here are they both top 25 receivers top 20 receivers could they both be top 15 receivers because we don't know how this offense is going to operate with matthew stafford versus what we saw and we still have tyler higby in the mix too without gerald everett around and we do know that stafford you know he has a penchant from time to time to throw to his tight end that do we have to wait and maybe even try to guess who stafford is going to have as a favorite between these two and maybe it is one of the young guys because there's no loyalty there and familiarity like you know you bring in Atwell and let's say Goff is still the quarterback well he's used to throwing to Cup he's used to throwing to Woods those are his guys it's kind of a blank slate now with Stafford does does that worry you at all for Cup and Woods I think those two will still be the alpha right I mean you just you you know McVay's system uh, historically has been so 11 personnel based especially losing Everett and adding more receivers and Cup and Woods historically have just played, spent so much time on the field. Uh, I, I'm a little bit more worried about Cup than I am Woods because he had that whole like, I'm Jared Goff's. I was Jared Goff's roommate um, at, during training camp, and we just have this perfect chemistry. And he's going to look at me underneath, and every time there's a slot matchup, I'm guaranteed like 10 plus targets in, in in this matchup. And I think Woods is one of the league's most underrated players. He's an incredible route runner uh open consistent consistently they get him involved in the running game on end arounds including inside the the goal line which probably get a rushing touchdown on the season and and a few points here and there uh, i i would prefer woods to cup actually uh this season i, I think he's going to mesh with stafford but no, no one can tell you exactly what's happening right they're just hitting um 
OTAs now. So they're still developing this chemistry. But I think those two will definitely be the alpha receivers and the other three will be mixed in. The projections have, at least mine, have Cup over Woods, but I don't even believe that because I like Woods more than I like Cup. And it's funny how you say that Woods is underrated. Uh, I think that he is such a better re- – because he's a fine fantasy player. He's, re- I mean, all these guys are relatively inconsistent once you get to this level. For example, like Woods is being drafted as the 20th wide receiver off the board. Cup is number 23 in half-point PPR right now. But the, it's the little things with Robert Woods. Like you said, the crisp route running, uh, his ability to work – himself into the run game and that just makes the offense so much more effective and he is a fucking awesome blocker he is one of the best outside blockers at sealing the run in the nfl on the outside i mean he's not to when it comes down to it but he's one of the best that we currently have and that stuff is just not going to show up uh on the fantasy sheet and sometimes that might actually take away from his target share because you know if you're blocking on three consecutive they don't really ask cooper cup to do a ton of blocking uh with woods they actually ask ask him to seal either the outside or try to seal the edge like when you see Henderson coming in the game like Henderson is so fast once he turns the corner near the sidelines and it's almost always running to Woods's side he is exerting maximum effort on that so it's little things like that that can take away uh, from some of the upside that a receiver has but I think I'm with you I would much rather have Robert Woods in the spot than Cooper Cup would you go with anyone else down here like is it worth a shot to take on Deshaun Jackson would you think about Atwell just like they spent all this draft capital on him why not uh, I would not think about that. Well, I mean, uh, we're talking about right now, likely being wide receiver five on this team. Uh, no, thank you. Uh, I mentioned, I'm not concerned about more being five foot seven. I am concerned about two, two Atwell. Um, you know, being in Floyd Mayweather's weight class. I, I think that, uh, and no, I don't want to see them fight and I won't pay $50 for it. But I think that uh, Deshaun Jackson with Matthew Stafford's deep ball and ability to get vertical, like if he's, he's going to have, a couple of weeks at the beginning of the season where he's healthy and he has, we've seen him have those monster games. That's probably more the way I'd be interested in, like a DFS matchup uh, with, with him healthy. Uh, and Van Jefferson came on a little bit at the end of the year as well, and they spent draft capital on him. So uh, Tyler Higby would probably be the third option in this offense that I have the most interest in because after that, you know, you got your top three with Kelsey Waller and Kittle, and then you've got the, the next range with the Pitts, Hawkinson, and Andrews. I think Tyler Higby has got some uh, interest there. I'm with you when it comes to Higby with Gerald Everett gone. I don't want to get too sucked in, but right now he's going as tight end number 18 off the draft board. Like he'd be a fringe, like after that class that you mentioned, like I feel like he's right there with Noah Fant and Hunter Henry, Mike Gesicki, and he might even be better than those guys. Yeah, we've we've seen him have monster performances, right? If you look at his splits uh, without Gerald Everett, he's absolutely a tight end one. Um, and like you mentioned, Stafford's got a history of knowing how to, how to work a tight end. So I, I think that uh, they, they run such heavy 11 personnel. He's going to be on the field a ton. I mean, that's, that's already a good start when you compare him to other players and you, you compare him to Gusecki where there's a lot of mass to feed there and Stafford's better than Tua, right? You compare him to, to Fant and there's a lot of mass to feed in Denver, right? And so much of his stuff is yards after the catch and you're looking at Teddy Bridgewater or... Um, uh, Drew Locke there, unless of course Aaron Rodgers or Deshaun Watson gets traded there, but I'm not drafting fantasy players on Denver and anticipating that. Um, I, I think Higby at tight end 18 is, is an absolute steal. Yeah, I'm with you. Like, I see that Evan Ingram is going 40 spots ahead of him. Just like, just give me Higby. Maybe that works out. And the good thing is, when you draft tight ends that late, and that's why that, like, middle range at tight end never really works out. Darren Waller sort of an exception to that. And even he was still going up, like, the first five rounds 
a year ago is if you punt on tight end and you take your sleeper guy, if they're no good after two weeks, you don't feel like you have to keep them on your roster. You can make the move pretty quickly to move on to someone else. But it, this is this is what becomes the Evan Ingram problem. You draft him in the seventh round. It's like, okay, you know, here's a guy with top three upside of the position. And then he sucks. But you're like, well, I spent a seventh round pick on him. I got to keep playing him. It's tight end. Who else am I going to pick up? Like, I, I think that there is something... I mean, it's it's unquantifiable, obviously, but that's how the mentality of fantasy players work. That if I like try to trade for a guy who sucks after three weeks, if it was like a top three round pick, and like it becomes abundantly clear, like this guy is no good. The guy that drafted him in the first place still wants close to full value because you feel like such a schmuck by taking a guy in the third round that's no good, and someone's offering you pennies on the dollar, but that's pennies more than he's probably worth. You still don't do it, like. It just becomes one of these psychological things that maybe it's just me and these are traps that I fall into, but that's why I don't like like the seventh round tight end type of guy. I mean, you're, you're talking about basic you know, like human psychology, right? Like once you invest in something to you, it's worth at least that, even if you're just the idiot that paid that price, right? So uh, tight end after those top three guys, and we can, we can argue about Pitts and Hawkinson and Andrews, but after those top three guys, it's, it's definitely a crapshoot on a weekly basis. We've, we see this every year. Every year we have the same conversation. This is the year where the tight end is so deep. It's deeper than it's ever been. <laughs> Two, three weeks into the season, I, I don't want to play any tight end. <laughs> like that's, what, that's what it comes down to. So get, give me the cheap guys late, uh, and I think Higby's got some of the most upside there. So I'm, I'm absolutely in on Higby. It was a match made in heaven. I had been trying to cut down on carbs, sugar, and unhealthy food in general, and I realized that I couldn't eat anything. Then all of a sudden, Magic Spoon tells me they want to advertise on the Pat Mayo experience. They send me some cereal, and I keep buying some more. They sucked me in because it's so damn good. Zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and only four net grams of carbs in each serving. Only 140 calories. Serving. It's keto friendly, gluten free, grain free, soy free, low carb, and GMO free. And you can build your own box. So, available flavors to build your own very custom box are coca, fruity, frosted, peanut butter, blueberry, and cinnamon. Once again, I will tell everyone that fruity is the way that you want to go. It's the only thing that I get anymore. But hey, might as well try them all out and find out which one is your favorite. So, Go to magicspoon.com slash mayo to grab a custom bundle of cereal and try it today. And be sure to use our promo code mayo at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon's so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember, get your next delicious bowl of guilt-free cereal at magicspoon.com slash mayo and use the code mayo to save $5 off. Thank you, Magic Spoon, for sponsoring this episode. Let's be honest, you're not getting as good of a sleep as you need to be. Whether your problem is falling asleep, staying asleep, or just not feeling rested once you wake up, you're not alone. That last one is the Pat Mayo category, by the way. Not feeling rested once you wake up. More than half of Americans report having trouble with getting enough sleep. At Brickhouse Nutrition, our team of on-staff physicians is on a mission to get heads on pillows and would like to introduce Dreams Sleep Aid by taking science-backed ingredients like melatonin and combining them with natural ingredients from the earth like valerian root and jujube fruit. Dreams is a perfect blend for the perfect sleep. Go to BrickHouseSleep.com and get 15% off your first order at checkout with promo code MAYO. 
Sound to sleep like a brick. BrickHouseSleep.com. Promo code MAYO. All right, let's go up the coast. We're going to Seattle. Maybe they'll let Russ cook for the entire season. Who knows? Because that was just glorious fantasy-wise for the first, like, seven weeks last year. Their over-under is 9.5, minus 125 to make the playoffs, plus 275 to win this division, 12-1 to to win the conference, 25-1 to to win the Super Bowls. Looking at Russ Danger, it does look like he is going to be back. He has plenty of weapons. That's all great news. And right now he is being drafted as quarterback number six off the board number 47 overall. So Dak, Lamar, Russell Wilson, Justin Abel, and Aaron Rodgers are all clumped into like this little mini tier of quarterbacks. So you have Mahomes, Allen, Kyler, then those five guys, then everyone else. That's how they're currently being drafted. I still think that's a pretty price to pay a top 50 pick on Russell Wilson. Yeah, I mean, this comes down to assumption of rational coaching, right? Like if, if Russell was going to be that, that first half of the year guy and they were going to let him air it out, I, I would, we could definitely have a conversation, but they tried to protect their defense, which was giving up historical numbers to, to the uh, opponents. And um, they, they did it by leaning on the run game and, and making Russ go back to like 28 pass attempts again game instead of 40. And that just, that really cuts your, your upside. And we've seen Russ be such a high floor player because his efficiency is off the charts. Right. But last year, also with that volume, he had efficiency that was like, it was not sustainable throwing four or five touchdowns a game. Uh, and once once some of those red zone numbers dropped a little bit, we saw um, kind of him come back down to earth a little bit. And then once they, they switched the game plan up, he wasn't the same quarterback. So if you're going to draft Russell Wilson that high, you really have to believe that Pete Carroll's lying and that they're going to go back to that first seven, eight games of the season. And you know, throughout Pete Carroll's career, he's never really done that. I do really like Seattle to make the playoffs at minus 125. Um, they've only ever not made it once in Russell Wilson's career, and they still won, uh, went 9-7 and seven that year and finished 7th in the NFC. And, of course, now seven teams make the playoffs. So they play in a tough conference. They do get the Texans and Jaguars um, and Bengals on the schedule as well, three of the worst teams in the NFL. So I, I, I think that there's definitely going to be some uh, up weeks for the, this offense. Uh, but – I'm not buying in Russell at that price tag. Well, the biggest thing, too, is I guess you can play this one of two ways because the Rams projected to have a pretty good offense and defense. Don't really know about the Cardinals' defense. Maybe it's average, but the offense projects to be pretty good. And then if everyone isn't just hurt starting week one for the Niners, like their offense and defense could be really good. So you might see a situation where Seattle's defense, not the best even now, that they just give up a ton of points and they can't stop that bleeding. And it forces Wilson to pass. Or even in those situations, do we not trust Pete Carroll and the staff to just let him... Like, I, I haven't projected it, you know, less than 550 pass attempts when I did the medium yeah. projections. Like, that's not great. And that he still scores a ton of points because of his legs, but I feel like it's even overshooting what he's going to do on the ground over 17 games. Like, is he really going to rush for 600 yards? Probably not. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things. Russell really picks his spots, right? Uh, and in bigger games, he's willing to use his legs a little bit more, but he definitely is really looking to throw. It's it's not a knock on Russell's talent. You know, to your point, the defense still stinks. Like, they're they're not good. Uh, they got a lot better with Carlos Dunlap, which just tells you how bad they are because that's an average player, and he shouldn't make that much of a difference. But the question is, do they stop, try to stop the bleeding by just – going so slow which has been an issue for that offense forever their pace of play uh do they just try to really lean on the run game and keep their defense off the field or do they say you know 
that's cool. You can score 30. We can score 35 with, you know, Russell, uh, Russell Metcalf and Lockett. Um, and I, it might be week dependent. You know what I mean? Some, some games, they're not going to have a choice. They're going to go down 14, nothing, and they're going to have to air it out. But um, I, I just think Carroll's got a, a history of, of doing this. So Schottenheimer that I, I'm a little bit worried about buying in on Uber efficiency and low volume. Yeah, it's even funny to look at the rushing yards for Russell Wilson. Like as the season went along, he ran at least attempts wise a little bit more. But you get these weird fluctuations like 29 rushing yards, 9, 52, minus 1, 45, 12. It's not it's going to come. It's just going to be wildly inconsistent. Like you said, it's not like having Lamar Jackson back there and be like, oh, just pencil him for like 10 for 85 every single game. Maybe sometimes he'll score more than that. And that will be fantastic. Sometimes he'll rush for a touchdown. The biggest thing that I found with his rushing, like it'd be one thing if he was inconsistent with the attempts and the yardage, but he only scored two rushing touchdowns last year. So despite the fact that he runs a ton, he rarely calls his own name near the goal line. And I think that's what keeps him out of that very upper echelon tier. Now, maybe my projections are a bit low at 550 passing attempts, because if you bump him up to like 600 or 615 with the efficiency that he has, then all of a sudden he's back in the ring to be number one overall fantasy quarterback. I just don't see it happening. Yeah, I mean that that if if you're all in that Russell Wilson is going to have the volume, draft him there. If if you have any concerns, and I, you and I both have concerns, I think you let someone else take that gamble. In the backfield, Chris Carson returns once again as the guy that no one wants to draft. Doesn't even seem like Seattle wants him, but he continues that every time that he's healthy, to be like a very good running back too on your fantasy and like. It's funny because he's always overpriced on DraftKings, it seems, until he's like hurt, hurt, hurt for like three weeks, then like doesn't play. And then all of a sudden you catch him at like 4,700. It's like, oh, Chris Carson time. Let's go. But whenever he's healthy, he's good. Straight up. But Rashad Penny is back this year. DJ Wiki Wiki Dallas got some run a year ago. Alex Collins is still on this roster. He's being drafted as running back number 20 right now. And I think that's sort of the issue. Like, I think he could finish his running back number 20. That's fine. I don't know if I want to spend pick number 35 on Chris Carson is the problem. Well, I guess the issue, too, is you run out of running backs real quick when you do those drafts, right? And he's kind of got that workhorse upside. They will give him three to four targets a game. He is the goal line back. Uh, DJ Dallas and Alex Collins are, other than, you know, give you the ability to do an amazing DJ thing, uh, are, uh, are not really NFL players I worry about at all. And, uh, Rashad Penny, we're going into year four now. I just, I just don't care. Uh, Carson's whole thing is health because when he's healthy, you know, he, he's also a great weekly DraftKings play, right? A guy that gets you the 16 to 24 points. So I actually think that that RB20 is a really good price tag for him. And uh, end of round three, early round four is a price that I'm willing to pay on Chris Carson. Doesn't that seem like we talked about the dead range of tight end, like round six through 10 were like the, oh, the, the quote unquote safe third tier tight end is like it just doesn't pay off it does feel like end of round three through like round seven at running back like maybe you'll find a gem in there but more than likely there's a reason that these guys aren't considered upper echelon to begin with and you're better off just waiting to like round 10 and taking guys and on the back on the back end of perceived split situations who actually just win the job backups guys who might be starters in week four rather than taking like this type of player like this is the david johnson range from last year yeah, uh, I wasn't in on David Johnson. I, I think Carson's probably one of the last running backs that I have real interest in. But typically, I try to leave. Um, I like I don't want to to have the heart and soul of my running back roster be constructed in the third through seventh. I 
are more than happy to get one to two real studs early on, load up on wide receivers and tight ends and come back for what's ever left over at running back and let everyone else deal with those, those headaches. All right. Uh, Penny running back number 59. Is that worth a late round flyer just to see if he's healthy this season? Then all of a sudden, maybe he can chip away when Carson inevitably goes down. Yeah, I mean, I, if, I think you're talking about a guy that's not going to play much and unless Carson gets hurt, right? So, But, if, but, but, if that, but, that, but hurt, that's why you would be drafting him, though. Like we talked about Henderson a little right. bit he's, earlier. Right, he's legit just a handcuff. Yeah, that's, that's what he is. Who do you think would be a better I, handcuff, though, Henderson or Penny? Uh, Henderson. Okay. I, I think that the Seahawks would still mix in some of those other guys. Um, why, if we go I to think w- Henderson would be a Boca. Yeah, Sorry. if we if we go to wide receiver, um, obviously you have Metcalf, you have Lockett. Where does Lockett rank? Obviously, like I said, the DK Metcalf is going to be like a top five wide receiver when it comes down to drafting. Deserves to be there. Where do you put Lockett? Do we look at his inconsistency last year as something of an aberration? Uh, does he work himself back into a top fifteen guy because that's where he was when Russ was throwing all the time? So I guess if you were to pair one with Russ and try to make it feasible for yourself. Uh, it would probably be Lockett just based on ADP instead of having to spend all that draft capital on DK Metcalf as like a late first round, early second round pick, right? Yeah, the hardest part with Lockett is that like inconsistency is his issue because volume is the Seahawks offense issue, right? So like when when he go when he sees eight or more targets, he's like a top five wide receiver uh, fantasy performances in the NFL, but like he, it's, it's so sporadic when he actually get those, gets those opportunities, which is why he started last year so hot because they were throwing so many pass attempts. So, um, that's my biggest issue with Lockett is that there's so many like eight, 10, 12, 47, then eight, 10, four, you know what I mean? Like that, that's, that tends to be my biggest concern with Tyler Lockett is the consistency on a week to week basis in, in, in redraft. So when we look at where he's going ADP-wise, wide receiver number 17, pick number 54, that's one receiver ahead of C.D. Lamb, ahead of Robert Woods and Kenny Galladay and Cooper Cup. That's sort of the range. And just behind, like, Allen Robinson, Mike Evans, Julio Jones, Amare Cooper. So is he coasting on these big games when people just go back and look at his stats last season? It's like, oh, really good season for Tyler Lockett. But it was really, like, four really good weeks, which you can probably bank on. But... That's not yeah. the type of guy he's you want. He's probably going to win you four games. Yeah. He's probably going to win you four games throughout the course of the season. He might also lose you four games. Um, I, I don't know. When you name those guys, like, I would rather have Robert Woods. I'd rather have CeeDee Lamb. I'd rather have Allen Robinson. I'd, I'd rather have Mike Evans. I'd rather have Julio Jones. Um, it's tough for me to, to say that he's the right guy there without having any faith in the volume of this offense. Dwayne Eskridge comes in. Do we expect him to have much of a role here? No, <laughs> um, I understand they spent some draft capital on him, but uh, it, uh, to me, it's going to mostly be Lockett and Metcalf, some targets to uh, Carson. Uh, you'll get a little bit of Gerald Everett in there mixed in with the, the Will Disleys and everybody else's. But um, I just, uh, if I'm, if we're saying that Russ is going to throw 550 times in the year, there's just, there's not much upside for Eskridge. Well, here's what I have for Eskridge right now. 12% target share of, or market share of the targets. That would translate with the Russell projections into 40 receptions for 590 yards over 17 games. So, worthless. Yeah, I mean, I, I think he's going to end up a little bit lower than that. Okay. Um, but, I mean, listen, if, if, he, if he has 600 yards and four touchdowns, he's going to have a couple startable weeks. 
is there go, is there a path or a scenario where Lockett or Metcalf goes down? Would Eskridge be the guy you think that takes that role, and then he sees a huge bump up? Yeah, especially with Moore leaving, right? Um, that was that was a big guy that Seattle used. Uh, so if one of those guys goes down, he he could definitely be in play because now you're talking about as a top two receiver for Wilson, assuming that he makes that transition to the NFL, right? Because he's well, well, that's an older prospect of. That's the thing. Like, it could be Freddie Swaim on this team, who we've actually seen not necessarily be useful fantasy wise, but who's at least ingrained into this offense, knows the offense. And it's very clear that Russell Wilson doesn't mind throwing to him. Right. Like, there, you're not, you're, you're almost making a bit of an assumption saying that he will be the wide receiver three, as you know, an older prospect from Western Michigan. Uh, we've seen that kind of guy flame out a lot too. So, uh, I didn't. I think they overdrafted him. I know a lot of analytical people think they overdrafted him too. So. Uh, he's just, he's just one of those guys where, you know, sometimes I let people just be other people's headaches and I'm not going to end up with much escrige at all this year. Is Gerald Everett now on the team worth anything fantasy wise, or does Will Disley still being there kind of, it's a snake eating its own tail. Like you're never going to know which weeks to start Everett and which weeks not to start Everett, or is Everett good enough that this is why they brought him in. He is a viable part of this passing game. Yeah, I mean, Everett's a, Everett was a good prospect coming out of college. He's a good athlete. He's got a lot of run-after catch ability. We've seen him have some some big games for the Rams, right? Uh, it's, you know, Higby is definitely better than Disley. Uh, the, the Seahawks do have a history of really splitting those tight end snaps and looking at 40%, but if he can get to 60 or 65%, he could be one of those guys that you almost draft Everett, and maybe Higby is the last two tight ends, right? And just say, well, let's see if one of these two works out, and if neither one of them works out, I'm going to look at the waiver wire in week three. San Francisco, probably one of the most difficult teams to cap from a fantasy perspective this year. Ten and a half wins, minus 177 to make the playoffs, two to one to win the division, six and a half to one to win the conference, 14 to one to win the Super Bowl. They are expected to be good. They were bad last year, mainly due to health reasons, but it all starts at the top. You have Trey Lance, who they just drafted. They are returning Jimmy Garoppolo. How long until Trey Lance starts for this team? Not long. I mean, it was really interesting the day after the, the first round, they asked Todd McShay and they asked um, Daniel Jeremiah, other than Zach Wilson and Trevor Lawrence, which quarterback do you think is most likely to start week one? And they both said Trey Lance. Now, I know that Jimmy G is the presumed starter right now, but if there's, there's a preseason this year. Lance is clearly the more dynamic player. Um, Shanahan has a history of a rookie quarterback in Robert Griffin with that athletic upside that he was able to kind of groom. And, you know, that, that, though, that rushing ability is a huge aspect to that offense. They've got so many playmakers and George Kittle and Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk who are just dynamic after the run, uh, run after the catch that I think Lance could, could end up starting real early. We also haven't seen a top five quarterback, not play, not start that season. I think like in forever. So I think it's just a matter of time before Lance starts. And once Lance starts, he could be one of those sneaky late round quarterbacks because of his athletic upside with all those those weapons where he could become extremely fantasy viable. Do we think that these skill position players in this offense are better if Lance or Jimmy G is starting? I, th- I mean, I think I think Jimmy G is just a dude. I think Lance has a lot more upside. Um, but at the same time, they might try to protect Lance more and he might run more And the, the passing volume has always been an issue in this offense in general, right? Like, George, I, I, it blew my mind when I was looking the other day and realized that George Kittle had never scored more than five touchdowns in a season. Um, Ayuk and, and Samuel are obviously, they're, they're two incredibly dynamic players, but the question is, 
what's the pass volume, what's the pace of play of this offense? Does the defense, you know, get healthy with Nick Bosa back? And, you know, are they going to become a more run-oriented team? And then is it Mustard? Is it Sermon? Does Wayne Goldman take the, the goal line opportunities, right? Like you said, this is one of the more difficult teams to cap because there's so much uncertainty. The play volume's not great. The defense is really good. Um, and it's probably going to be a, a, a weekly headache in terms of the game script, but there's just so much talent on this team. Trey Lance is currently being drafted as quarterback number 24 off the board. Basically, Jimmy G is not going. So either it's they think that Trey Lance is going to start, or even if Jimmy G does start, it's not going to be for long. Then Trey Lance will eventually be the quarterback. What sort of upside do you think that he has? Let's say he starts from week one. He's being drafted just after Derek Carr and just ahead of Taysom Hill at the moment. Like, with his rushing ability, he could be a top 10 quarterback, couldn't he? Or will they just yeah. not run enough plays? No, I mean, I think I think Jalen Hurts is kind of what you would say his ceiling was in his rookie year. Um, so a top 10 quarterback, that, that rushing upside, I, I, again, anytime you have that kind of rushing upside, rushing volume, um, you, you could see a top 10 quarterback season. So I think that's definitely within the range of outcomes if he plays all 17 games. Running backs. Now this is tough, especially if Lance is starting. Maybe he galvanizes some of the rushing attempts to himself, some of the goal line work, because that leaves us with Mostert, Trey Sherman. I mean, Juszczyk is going to end up getting like four touchdowns somehow and just take it away from the other ones. Jeff Wilson will eventually come back from injury, and Lord knows that you know he'll end up scoring eight touchdowns this year somehow. You mentioned Gallman. Jermichael Hasty is still on this roster. Can I mean, obviously you can draft these guys. Which one do you want to draft for the price? Like you just say, you know what? Give me the cheapest one and hopefully that works out. Yeah, I mean, I, I've seen that Sermon has passed Monster in a lot of different formats and I can't get on board with that. I mean, two years ago, Monster was the number one uh, player in uh, yards per touch in all of football. He's got that dynamic ability and people are going to point to Sermon doing so well in that zone scheme in college, but We've seen Mostert be extremely efficient on eight to 10 touches. So uh, with this being a split backfield, give me the most efficient player uh, at a little bit of a cheaper price tag. I think as long as Mostert stays healthy, and obviously he's already battling a slight knee ailment, but that's not considered to be anything serious, uh, that he's, I think he's going to end up leading the team in fantasy points. Well, and maybe in your galaxy brain leagues that Sermon's going ahead of Mostert in regular leagues with regular people. Why don't you get out with the people a little bit more, Elliot? Uh, Mostert's going as running back number 25. Sermon's going at number 50. Okay, well, in, in the galaxy brain, brain leagues, I, I see that people are galaxy braining it. At, at 25 running back discount, I'd probably rather Sermon. Yeah, I think that's, but I think that kind of goes to the point of who is going to be the cheap guy in this offense, in this backfield, like investing a lot of draft capital into a guy with a real fuzzy position where, yeah, maybe he'll get eight carries today. Maybe he'll get 17. Who knows? For a high end price, not great. Like he'd be essentially like a fifth swing, fourth swing, fifth round pick now for Monster. Now he could pay that off for sure, but the week to week consistency won't be there. I'm spending a 10th round pick on sermon or even going down the board a little bit if jeff wilson can work himself back into it and you know one of these guys gets hurt a lot like what, what happened last year and then all of a sudden that wilson is thrust in he's a last round pick you know you're not forced to play these guys but if they find themselves into a position where they play themselves into the starter where you can trust them well you were never having to rely on them anyway it just makes your team stronger overall
well rather than spending the extra draft capital. And then all of a sudden you have to have these guys be good for your fantasy team. And they're just not. So your fantasy team sucks. So that would be the, the wait on the <laughs> ADPs and see how this shakes out. You could be right though. It's like, as we go a month from now and reports come out of camp, Sermon could pass Mostert in terms of the ADP. That's just not what I've been seeing so far at receiver. I mean, we kind of talked about, is it a Jimmy G team? Is it a Lance team? How does that affect everyone? Like, Ayuk really came on towards the end of last year. We all kind of liked Debo Samuel, and last year was an injury-plagued season for him. So uh, I, I'm not really concerned with Richie James or Jalen Yehurd or Trent Sherfield. It's those two guys that I'm concerned about. My biggest problem is that they're not even number one receiving options on their own team. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> This is one of those amazing NFL teams and fantasy nightmares, right? And good Lord, when you have to write this team up for showdown, is it a nightmare every time? <laughs> but I don't, I don't know. And I, I think that's honestly the, the most honest answer I can give. Like, I think Debo Samuel outperformed Brandon Ayuk uh, on the uh, yards per route run last year. He's probably the best player after the catch in the NFL the last couple of years. They really try to get him the ball around the line of scrimmage, which probably helps with Lance that they try to protect him a little bit more. But like you said, like this team's going to have games where they only throw the ball 22 times and they have three mouths to feed all guys who kind of have that alpha type personality and, and you're, you're paying, uh, you know, obviously premium draft capital for Kittle and, and Iukes. Uh, I would probably rather Samuel as the cheapest option, but these, all three of these guys for me are kind of like, when I'm when I'm going in a draft, are they falling a little bit below where they're supposed to go? That's probably where I want to take them. Um, that's that's kind of where I want to get my exposure to these guys because there's there's so much unknown with all three of these. Ayuk's going players. approximately 25 picks ahead of Samuel right now. I think that just leads right. you towards Samuel. Right, 100% agree. Like Deontay Johnson, Chase Claypool, Brendan Ayuk, T. Higgins, Odell Beckham is how that is going in the mid-20s. Then you have Brendan Cooks, Robbie Anderson, Debo Samuel, Will Fuller, Hollywood Brown. That's what you're looking at in the mid-30s uh, with wide receivers coming off the board. I just feel more comfortable with Samuel there. And I don't even know. Like, he just feels like someone I'll use on DraftKings rather than have on my season-long team. Like I think the only receiving option that I want is going to be George Kittle, obviously. But if they only pass 22 times a game, at least I feel comfortable that Kittle's going to get like 8 to 10 targets of those 22 pass attempts. Yeah, and you know, when Kittle leaves the field because he's hurt, man, he's a he's a warrior, right? Like he broke his foot and tried to keep playing last year, and the doctors are like, "You're going to be out week eight weeks." He's like, "I'll see you in two. Um, that dude is a monster. Um, I, I, I would take him after Waller. Obviously, Kelsey is tight end one, uh, but I definitely think getting one of those top three tight ends can play a major advantage in, in drafts because you have a tight end that you can rely on and can put up wide receiver one type numbers while your opponent is probably picking between Gerald Everett and Tyler Higby. Uh, yeah, I think that the actual draft capital and the value of tight end is you would really take Waller. You would take Waller ahead of George Kittle? I would take Waller ahead of George Kittle because um, I feel like he's a guy that's, you know, going to lead the uh, tight ends outside of, uh, I mean, Travis Kelsey is kind of like his own, his own person, but we saw last year, right? He was at the top in target share, uh, air yards. I think what the way they brought in Henry Ruggs to kind of take the top off of the defense and give Darren Waller that underneath um, those underneath routes, 
was was huge for him because he's so dynamic after the catch. He's such an elite athlete. I just think that the Raiders' play volume will be higher too. Their defense is worse. They're going to have to throw the ball more. Uh, I would take Waller over Kittle. It's funny. I'm looking at the projections right now, the median projections for the year that I ran. I didn't even notice this. Darren Waller is projected for 30 more fantasy points than George Kittle. I mean, I like your projections and I like my opinion, so that makes sense. <laughs> I, I And I'm just trying to see what the discount is between the two. Obviously, Kittle is going ahead of him in fantasy drafts. Kittle is going at pick number 22, and Waller is going at pick number 26. All right, they're both going in the second end of the second round, beginning of the third round is where you're getting them, whereas Kelsey is going at the back end of the first round. Who, what do you think is the better value there? Is it Waller at the very end of the second, beginning of the third, or is it Kelsey at the end of the first? This is a cop-out answer, but yes. Like, if I, I my answer is basically like, it's always Travis Kelsey for me at the end of the first round. I just, I think he's a cheat code. But if I don't get Kelsey, um, I'm, I'm very much looking at Kittle and Waller on the comeback. If you were playing zero RB this year, or even if you want to take a second round running back and kind of punt wide receiver off, could you ever envision a scenario where you took both Kelsey and Waller and that way you box everyone out of tight end and the theory behind it being that you have the best tight end by far. So you're going to outscore everyone there every week anyway. And then you make the position even thinner by taking two of the only good three tight ends. Yeah. The question is like, are you hurting yourself more than you're hurting your league in terms of upside? Because you're only going to play one opponent, right? So not everyone else is going to be hurt that as much that week. Um, so theoretically, what you could do is draft Kelsey, Cam Akers, Darren Waller, let's say, with your first three right. picks. Would you hate that team? No, I would not hate that team. Because then- I, I mean, the, the, that's the thing about Kelsey and Waller. They both have opportunities to be top 10 scoring wide receivers, right? I mean, Kelsey was there uh, in the running for leading the league and receiving yards last year. He's just such a cheat code. Because at that point, you could still build, like, if with Cam Akers as a solid number one, although he's not being drafted that way, you could still have basically your pick between Mike Evans, Allen Robinson, and Terry McLaurin as your wide receiver one. Then you could draft, Jesus, you could probably draft Kenny Galladay, Tyler Lockett, who we've talked about, C.D. Lamb, D.J. Moore, like that realm, and Cooper Cup, that realm of receiver as your wide receiver two, if that's how you wanted to play it out. Or you could take, you know, your Mostert's of the world. I, I probably wouldn't want to do that. And then you could even look at, geez, DJ Chark, your boy, David Johnson, going at pick number 77. Like, there's a way that you can piece that together where it doesn't kill you. And I guess it depends on who you're drafting with, like if it's a super sharp league. It's just it's a theory that I always wanted to try out, and I tried to do it last year with Kelsey and Kittle. It just never really worked out that way that I could get them all on the same team because Kelsey started going too high that you couldn't snag them as a back-to-back and two and three after getting a running back in round one. But I'd just be very curious if that strategy was viable or not. I definitely think it is viable. I think your point about depends on your league and your league mates and how sharp they are and everything. That makes a ton of sense. And it helps that wide receiver is the deepest position, right? Because now we've, we've moved from the two receiver sets to the three receiver sets to the four receiver sets that uh, the ball gets spread out so much. And there's so much passing volume that there's so many fantasy viable receivers every week. Right. So um, you can definitely load up. I mean, Terry McLaurin is, is going to be a beast. Allen Robinson is going to be a beast. Uh, DJ Moore is one of my favorite players. If, if they stop missing him in the end zone every single week. Right. Like um, I, I think that, the more you lay it out, especially in a lot of these redraft leagues, you can get an advantage and, and really just load up on wide receivers. I, I think if you're going to do that, I'm going to do it as 
two tight ends and a running back, not two tight ends and a receiver. All right, that will do it on the Pat Mayo Experience. I want to thank Elliot Chris from FTN Fantasy, FTN Daily, and FTNBets.com for joining me on the line. Once again, if you go to any of those sites, especially FTNBets.com, and use code Mayo, you get yourself a discount over there right now. And also check out the AFC East preview, the NFC East preview. We're going to have more and more previews, you know, in fact, one for every division shockingly enough. So smash the like button of the episode. Once again, sub to Mayo Media Network. And in the comment section, please, you tell me who the highest scoring wide receiver is going to be in the NFC West this season. Thank you all for watching. I'm Pat Mayo. I'll see you next time. Pat Mayo experience. Experience.